Welcome, everybody. This is Phil Pruitt here along with Jay Farnett, and we are here today for the .NET Countdown. This is an all-access version as part of the Pro Wrestling.net all-access podcast, and um, yeah, happy to be bringing it to you all. This is normally a member-exclusive show where we go over the top five and bottom three moments of the week in wrestling. So, Jake, how are you today, man? Doing really well, man. Just uh, taking a break from work to talk about wrestling, so looking forward to it. I'm doing just about the exact same thing. So um, just to let uh, non-members know, if you become a member at this moment later today, you're also going to get the .NET Weekly Audio Show, which is a uh, normally two, sometimes far, far longer hour audio show with um, Jason Powell and Chris Shore where they break down the news of the week and oftentimes they report news that hasn't been reported anywhere else in that audio show and maybe won't be reported anywhere else. Um, Jason often, more often than not lately, has had a lot of little tidbits, backstage perspectives of just what's going on in the company, how people are feeling about issues like the WWE Network, Cena and Rock going into WrestleMania and, uh, you know, other awesome things. And, and, of course, you know, all of the TNA chaos that we regularly get. So that is a, a big perk of .NET membership, and I would argue one of the main reasons to become a .NET member. You can do that by going over to ProWrestling.net, and uh, on the right-hand side of the page, you'll see a link to the member sign-up area. Sign-up there, it costs $7.50 a month if you just want to take it for one month and try it out, or if you want to take the annual option, that price drops down to $5.50 a month. So it's definitely worth doing. I know that's a must-listen for me on a weekly basis, and I talk to Jason a lot. So, um, but without further ado, Jake, shall we uh, launch into the week that was? Let's. Yeah. Um, so uh, first, we um, our number five best moment of the week. Let's talk about CM Punk versus Jack Swagger on Raw. Just a quality match. I mean, finish aside, and I didn't mind the botch all that much since it was an intentional botch, and I got where they were going story-wise. Um, this was a really, this was the best we've seen from Swagger in a long time, and it was the kind of match that reminded me, oh yeah, Jack Swagger's pretty good when he gets to uh, go out there and work and not do the job in a couple minutes. Yeah, I mean, one thing I've especially liked about CM Punk's title reign since he, uh, you know, since he grabbed the title the last time was that he's actually been willing to go out there and and have matches with people that aren't necessarily, you know, considered in the main event picture right now and, and have competitive. Uh, you know, matches that have near falls that, you know, put him in a position that other champions a lot of times uh, don't put themselves in, where, you know, he, he looks like he like he's beatable, uh, you know, on a lot of these raw, uh, you know, main event matches that he's a part of. So that's been refreshing to see where you have a strong babyface champion who is over with the fans and, you know, is confident about his act and what he's, you know, what he needs to do, have quality matches with, you know, mid-card wrestlers and, and make them look you know, better in the process. So that was the most refreshing thing about this match. I think it, you know, it went a decent length of time, and it did have that mishap at the finish, but obviously it wasn't, you know, intentional on anybody's part. But, uh, you know, it, it, it was a quality match that delivered in a, in a big way and, and put Swagger in a position now, you know, where he could legitimately challenge for, uh, you know, another title somewhere down the road, and nobody, you know, would probably think anything of it. Whereas, as before, you know, he would kind of been on a slide for an extended period of time. Yeah, and I think at this point, I mean, you can put Jack Swagger easily, and in fact, they, he is in the U.S. championship picture with getting a shot on Raw, and I think, you know, where he is a former world champion in the U.S. championship may seem like a step down, and I don't expect him to win the belt on Raw. I think even giving him a shot at it may have seemed far-fetched, given how many matches he's been losing. I mean, there's that series with Sheamus that was just, it felt like it was a never-ending Swagger versus Sheamus feud. I would really love to see Jack Swagger continue with this trend and, you know, start to get some wins under his belt, start to actually have some decent victories where people can look at him, as he said, once again as a contender in the world championship picture because the dude has the talent. He's a fun, great act, and I would love to see a little bit more from Jack Swagger. Yeah, I agree. You know, there's a lot of upside to Jack Swagger. I mean, he's still a young guy, so, that, you know, he's got plenty of career left to do interesting and, and, and fun things, but it, it's been kind of a dry run here for him for quite a while now where he just hasn't found, uh, you know, success. And, and I thought he was headed in that direction, 
you know, when he first kind of joined up with Vicky Guerrero, because I thought, you know, her being uh, a manager for him would would take him, uh, you know, up a notch. But it didn't seem like that uh, inspired any confidence, uh, you know, in, in the way he was booked. But, you know, just w- within the last couple of weeks, he seems to be kind of getting a renewed push, and I'm excited to see where he can take it, because he is really one of the most talented wrestlers on the roster. So good for him. Yep. And now let's talk about our number four moment. And uh, I'm going to word this the way you did, because I just found it so funny. Chris Jericho does a silent film era Hulk Hogan impression. And we're talking about his appearance on Monday night, of course, and the uh, come to the ring and uh, soak up the applause and then well up with cheers and not be able to go on. And this is so much, so much like uh, what returning star, what Hulk Hogan did in that 2002 run where he came out and the audience just got him so emotional and he was wiping away all those tears. And, you know, it was just making those Hogan chants louder as he told them to stop. Oh, it was brilliant. And I think uh, the Chris Jericho's interpretation of it was a really fun kind of play off of that. And it continues this idea where Chris Jericho, um, at least it seems, is taking the uh, returning babyface idea and flipping it on its head. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I thought it was another, you know, really fun rendition of that type of promo where, you know, last week he, I think we, we both discussed him, you know, kind of ripping on himself for his 2007 return and, and some of the, the antics that took place there. And then this week it was it was kind of a, a Hogan impression in a way. So I'm wondering if next week is the week we hear him talk or, or if they let him go out there and try to do something uh, do something else interesting next week. I'd be happy either way, to be honest, because I... I think they, you know, they are running pretty close up to that edge where he does need to start, uh, you know, at least elaborating a little bit on his intentions. But uh, so far, this has been a lot of fun to watch, and you know, it's fun to see a guy who's so confident in his own ability that he's willing to go out there and just try to manipulate a crowd with his, you know, with his facial expressions and his his body language and whatnot. And that's not something that a lot of guys in WWE, I think, would have enough confidence in themselves to do. So. Kudos to Jericho for delivering another really quite funny segment on Raw on Monday. And it is getting to that point where I think he's going to have to talk soon. I I think if he does another silent segment, it may be a little bit too much this next week. And I would really, I, I mean, and partially I want him to talk to you because I'm actually attending Raw this coming Monday night. So, you know, it would be fun to be there for that first Chris Jericho promo in this return. But I would really enjoy hearing him speak a little bit. I think more than I more than just the silent Jericho act again. And really it has to it can be one sentence and then maybe he gets too choked up to go on or something like that. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure which way they'll go. I mean they they still have to address the you know, the female that they called the Herald in their in their promos <laughs> up to the point where he uh where he made his return. So I don't know if uh, if we're going to get any of that or if that's all been completely blown off now that he's made his return or, or what's going on. But there's obviously a lot of uh, a lot of options, and I'm actually kind of happy that we're left guessing as to what we're going to see next week because it, it means that we're going to tune in for something that should be at least exciting and interesting, if, if nothing else. Exactly, and speaking of exciting and interesting, something happened on Monday night that was a little bit of both. I'm so excited to talk about this one in audio form. Um, somebody better call Brodus Lee's mama because we're about to talk about him. I, our number three moment of the week is the debut of the Funkasaurus, Brodus Slay. Um, Jake, why don't you give your thoughts on this one? Well, I guess the the longer I've had to think about this, the, the more I've uh, kind of come around to it. At, at first, I was kind of disappointed that the they, they went the opposite direction of, uh, you know, their previous vignettes for him. But, uh, you know, no, I didn't expect anything like what we got on Monday. And I was, you know, I went back and watched the match again uh, yesterday. And I went back and watched the uh, backstage interview segment with Brodus. And I think the the thing that, that kind of delights me the most about this is he seems to be having a really good time with it. And, you know, he's uh, he's doing kind of the, the Dusty Rhodes uh, 8 Flash Funk kind of motif where he's talking in the ring and, and he's you know he's, he's dancing to the funk music which by the way is Ernest Miller's music from 2002 mm-hmm. uh, if you go back and listen to that which is 
kind of funny in and of itself. But, uh, you know, the, the more I've listened to it, then the more I've thought about it, the more it's kind of grown on me. So I'm looking forward to see what Brodus can do because I think while uh, Monday caught me off guard and kind of left me a little bit uh, unsure of what to think, uh, I'm definitely warm enough to the idea of, uh, of Funkasaurus Rex here. <laughs> I thought that the uh, funnest thing about Brodus was the talking in the ring and everything. It's just, it's something so different than what we normally see, and I think in an era where I, I think some wrestling fans fairly get the criticism for taking things too seriously, for uh, being a little bit too, um, for, for being a little bit too, you know, I want a Davy Richards match with a lot of kicks, and I want it to be serious, strong style. Brodus was just a really nice bit of comedy, and I thought in that match he showed just that he has those comedy chops. I, I will address the criticism. A lot of people have said, hey, he needs to be a monster. That's you know what he's built like. That's what he looks like. I don't think it's hard for him to become a monster in a couple of years if they want him to. Give, if anything, it could come down to giving him a couple weeks off, you know? reintroducing him as the monster, he cuts one promo, and Brodus has got it on the mic. I mean, watch that last promo of NXT Season 4 if you don't believe that he can be a monster on the mic and set him loose. This was a really nice bit of comedy. It was fun. From the second he came out, it was unexpected. The dancers hit the stage, and I think the general wrestling consensus was, what the hell? But it just... It won me over within the first few seconds because... Brodus looked like he was having a great time. I thought that the fans in attendance seemed like once they picked their jaws up the floor, they got into it. And, you know, uh, I can't say that uh, there was anything that was more fun to watch on Monday Night Raw than watching that uh, Brodus play debut. I've rewatched it a few times. I've made some friends watch it, and they all agree. The Funkasaurus is pretty damn awesome. And kudos to uh, Justin Roberts for managing to keep oh, a straight face when saying Planet Funk and Funkasaurus <laughs> before Brodus Clay made his debut. I mean, nobody in the world had a clue what was coming, and obviously he did, and he managed to, to keep it pretty straight. So good for Justin Roberts. Do you think ahead, maybe sir. he made that announcement before the music hit? Because he they just knew that there's no way Justin Roberts isn't going to be uh, smiling and laughing as Brodus walked down to the ring. Well, the, uh, I mean, he's, he's a human being. You got, I mean, how, how do you not bust up at watching yeah. a 400-pound man come to the ring in a velour jumpsuit uh, <laughs> dancing with two quite attractive women? So, yeah, it was very funny. I, I had a good time with it. Uh, the, the, the second time I watched it, I was able to appreciate it a lot more than the first time when I was basically just caught way off guard. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to see what happens. I think uh, Brodus is uh, having fun with it, and he's happy with it. Uh, I, I think it's, uh, you know, sky's the limit if he can get this thing over with the fans. So good for him. Yeah, let, let's remember here that uh, Rikishi, an act I, I think, I, I, you know, we've just seen one week of Brodus Lay, but I think that a Brodus is a far better act than Rikishi was in 1999. Rikishi was in the WWE championship scene at that point. He was in that uh, famous Armageddon six-man Hell in a Cell match. Like, that, he did it for The Rock at one point. Like, Rikishi was up there in the main event scene, and I think, uh, you know, Brodus is, with this comedy act is a little bit better than uh, that Rikishi act was. And, you know, I, I just look forward to seeing what Brodus can do. And, you know, if anything, you know on these wrestling shows there's going to be a lighthearted moment. And I think Santino ran his course around 2008. I, Zack Ryder is a cartoon character next to John Cena. I'm happy to see a comedy act like Brodus Clay coming in. You know, is it the best use of them if you're talking about maximum drawing power for everyone on the roster? No. But uh, is it a fun act that I think is going to, you know, put people in the, uh, you know, if there's something you can look back on and smile when you think of a wrestling show, you're going to think of it friendly or you're going to want to take the family a little more. I, I do think that, while this act itself doesn't draw money, it's one of the components to drawing money in wrestling. Yeah, I mean, you know, they have time to experiment with it, and if it doesn't work, they can, you know, they can flip the coin and have him be the monster heel that everybody expected him to be. I mean, it's not completely out of the question that a guy can turn on a dime. I mean, we've seen it before. I mean, I think I mentioned this in the forums that, you know, if during one match he gets hit with a chair too many times, he could freak out and kill somebody. I mean, that's just... Uh, it's just the nature of wrestling. I mean, people have 
switched characters like that before. I mean, you know, Tugboat became Typhoon overnight, and everybody was like, well, what the hell is this? But it happens, you know. <laughs> characters uh, run their course, and as soon as they stop working, you can do something else. I mean, it, it's, uh, you know, Brodus is talented, and he's obviously multi-talented because we've seen him play a couple of characters now uh, since he's been on, you know, NXT and uh, Superstars and now, uh, you know, now as... Uh, as the Funkasaurus, so he's definitely got a range, and he'll hopefully he'll get a chance to use it here. Yeah, and for people saying that this is most likely the end of Brodus play, I I just don't see that at all. When you look at a how young he is and just how talented he is, I think there is always a place for someone with the talent that Brodus play has, um, and just the entertainment ability. It's WWE for entertainment when they used to have initials that stood for something. And I, I, I think this is an act that Vince McMahon is going to look at for a long, long time and go, you, do, you can do whatever I tell you to, like, and get it over. Uh, that's a skill very few people have, and it's something I'm very happy to say that Brodus Clay has. And, man, I, the Funkus for us. Just, it, you know, I wrote a blog about how I loved it, and I, more and more, every time I think about it, I've watched it back a few times. I'm just enjoying it. Another thing I enjoyed is our number two moment of the week, and that was Daniel Bryan versus The Big Show on Friday Night SmackDown. What do you think of this one, Jake? I enjoyed it. I, uh, you know, I, I was expecting, you know, perhaps a boring, uh, you know, kind of slow-paced match because you know these guys have very different styles and then they're you know they're very different sizes, but they managed to make it work. I mean, I I, I didn't find myself uh, you know looking at my watch or anything during the match. It was. Uh, Relatively quick pace. Both guys got in some offense. Uh, you know, Mark Henry really actually made the match on commentary. Uh, you know, with his uh, with his remarks, you know, playing into what was going on in the ring, and I think that added a lot to the match. So, I was uh, very happy with what I saw. I thought Brian got in a surprising amount of offense on the Big Show, and the Big Show managed to sell it pretty well. Uh, you know, and the finish uh, played into their ongoing feud, which. Uh, you know, surprising many people. They seem to have a pretty good chemistry between Big Show and Brian on the microphone. So, overall, this feud has just been a lot of fun to watch, and this, this match was no different. It was just, uh, you know, a good 10-minute match to close SmackDown. Uh, you know, the first SmackDown of the year, the first title match of the year, and they have a rematch coming up this week. So, it looks like, uh, you know, we could be seeing more of this, and I'm uh, enjoying it for myself. And I think Mark Henry showed how commentary can enhance a match. Uh, a match that maybe... If you watch it without Henry, there does seem a little bit slow. But then you put Mark Henry in there, and he, you know, does his entire speech thing. He he talks, you know, he yells at the competitors. He gets into it with Cole, and you know, kind of turns Cole's heel commentary on its head when uh, confronting him. And it suddenly became something more interesting. But it never was not about the match. Uh, Mark Henry never was overbearing. He didn't take over on commentary. He just kind of was on commentary. Uh, it was a really nice example of how you use a uh, guest commentator and how you make sure that they're being, you know, the, how you utilize them to enhance a match and to enhance themselves. Uh, I think uh, for their part, too, Big Show and Daniel Bryan had a really nice match. I think the match was almost aided a little bit by Daniel Bryan's mouth being busted open and you know, not to say, yeah, WWE doesn't do color anymore and all that, but it's a really interesting display when someone does start bleeding in the ring, and I'm so happy we're out of that uh, 2009 era where someone starts bleeding and they stop the match and bring out a towel and fix it. I, I thought that they, you know, went well with that. The visuals of him trying to apply some holds to the big show just put over the size of the big show and also the size of Daniel Bryan, and in the end, Daniel Bryan's celebration after being pushed down by, by Mark Henry enhanced his character a little bit. I, I think from a storytelling standpoint, this match really got it done, and from an in-ring entertainment standpoint, it did as well. Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, both guys uh, managed to do themselves some good in the ring, and Henry, uh, you know, despite, um, you know, doing his normal heel insults uh, from the, the commentators, who was actually... Uh, you know, managed to put both guys over uh, in various spots, talking about their toughness and whatnot. So, yeah, it was a much uh, a much better commentary experience than we would have gotten 
had there been a three-man booth with Booker T out there. And, uh, you know, I think Henry needs a lot of credit for that, and, and both guys in the ring did their jobs, too. So this was a really uh, really good segment on SmackDown last week. Mm-hmm. And uh, finally, our number one moment of the week, and I don't see how it could be anything else this week. Edge and the Four Horsemen being announced for the Hall of Fame. This, absolutely, these are five people, who, or six people, actually, who deserve the Hall of Fame induction more than almost anyone else in the world. We've been saying for years, when's on Anderson going in? Edge had to retire unexpectedly this year, and I think it's a huge honor for him to be going into the Hall of Fame as a, uh, in his first year after retirement. And I, I'm extremely happy for Edge. He's one of those guys that right around when I started watching wrestling was breaking into the business. And, you know, now having sat back and watched his entire career, it's, you know, I, I, I get a little bit, you know, I had chills during that video package about him. He's been a phenomenal talent. And then you have the four horsemen and, you know, and and especially I I have to say my own personal favorite group of the horsemen. When I go back and watch them, I love the uh, Arn, Tully, Barry and Rick stuff. I I just feel like they are, there's some really cool things going on there. And I, I'm happy to see the hall of fame shaping up the way it is. Yeah, and I think they announced in in Mexico that Mil Mascaras is going to be in too. So mm-hmm. it's been a it's been a pretty good uh, class announcement thus far. I'm a huge fan of what the you know the Four Horsemen did in the NWA. You know, I, I still uh, I think I have a lot of the the re-releases of some DVDs that WWE's put out that they've been featured on. And mm-hmm. you know, it's uh you know it, it's a quintessential faction. It, it set the way you know it paved the way for a lot of what made wrestling so popular in the mid to late 90s with the NWO and uh, and Degeneration X and then later on, uh, you know, with Evolution. So, you know, there's uh, the the horsemen were the progenitors to all of that. And, you know, you could probably make an argument that they were the best of the bunch. But uh, all four of these guys, including, I suppose, five if you're, uh, you know, five guys, then, you know, they, they all deserve it. And some, you know, Barry Windham being posthumously is special, too. Uh, there were a lot of incarnations of the Horsemen over the years, but uh, this is by far my favorite one, and I'm happy to see them all going in. You know, Edge is, uh, you know, I don't know what I could say about Edge that hasn't already been said, but he's definitely one of the best ever, and uh, I, I watched his entire career just like you did, uh, you know, in WWE, and, and he's, uh, you know, he's a perennial Hall of Famer. I don't think anybody... Uh, that I, I've ever heard say anything bad about him aside from, you know, Matt Hardy and, and, and that whole weird personal situation. You know, nobody's ever said anything disparaging about his professionalism or what he does in the ring, uh, you know, or anything like that. So he's definitely, uh, you know, one of the best ever. Uh, and I'm happy to see him come in, and I'm sure, you know, it'll be an emotional moment when, you know, Christian and uh, most of the guys that he wrestled with throughout his career are present at the Hall of Fame because, you know, Edge is... Uh, Edge is still pretty young, and a lot of the guys yeah. that he that he wrestled with are still active. So, you know, it'll be a it'll be a pretty special moment when he's there, and uh, I, I look forward to watching it because you know a lot of those uh, uh, Christians probably going to do the induction, and a lot of people that are going to be there present will uh, will have wrestled him throughout his career, and you know I'm sure he'll he'll give shout outs to people that are no longer with uh, with WWE or with us at all, and uh, you know it'll be one of those great. Hall of Fame moments that everybody remembers. So, yeah, this was definitely a wonderful announcement on Monday. I, I was happy to see Edge go in year one because I, I really couldn't think of anybody better. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, and um, just uh, watching Edge as he as he grew up in the business, and it's uh, my heart broke a little bit to be honest when it came out. You know, when he said in that interview that he was the youngest Hall of Famer and. I just, you know, his career, of course, was cut short by an injury, and it's where he had such a full career, and I think most people knew he was on the downswing. It was so, you know, it, it still was so sudden for everyone to see Edge go. And, uh, oh, and a small correction, Barry Windham's still alive. Was it Kendall that passed away then? I must have confused him. Sorry. Oh, I, I thought one of yeah. the Windhams passed away a few years ago. My bad. So... Yeah. I apologize to Barry Windham for being an asshole. <laughs> he has had some health issues in the past, so which kind of um, WWE is helping him pay for uh, some of his treatments right now. I'm 
can't off the top of my head think of what the health issue is, but he uh, he has had some issues. So he is kind of a sentimental favorite as far as I think one of the reasons why that version of the Horseman was picked is, you know, public relations-wise and everything, it looks pretty good to be inducting him right now. So, yeah. Yeah, I wonder if we'll have other members of the Horsemen there. I mean, you got Luger and, uh, <laughs> you know, of course, you know, they probably will not mention Chris Benoit, but he was uh, a member at one time. Dean Malenko is already in the WWE, so... Uh, they'll have a lot of members of the Horsemen proudly present, so it'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see who's there and who uh, who's in the audience uh, with tears in their eyes clapping, because I'm sure it'll be a number of people. Yeah, I, I I think you definitely have to have Mongo there. Every time I think of just the quintessential horse Horseman, <laughs> I think of Steve Mongo McMichael. Oh, Mongo. So, uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Here's a quick side question for you. What was worse, Mongo on commentary on Nitro or Mongo as a member of the Horsemen? Uh, that's that's a toss-up. I mean, Mongo was just so bad at everything he did um, <laughs> it that it's really difficult was. to choose. But uh, I would have to say as an in-ring competitor, just because on commentary it was hard for him to, to mess up what was going on in the ring. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, it was uh, he was definitely my least uh, favorite member of the Horsemen, but uh, you know, I think he was brought in mostly, you know, just because he was friends with Bischoff. So, I don't know. <laughs> Interesting. I'm going to disagree with you. I think Mongo was worse on commentary because That's in a real. match he could only he could only mess up one segment a night in a match, <laughs> maybe two if he True. had a promo. But on commentary, he he just I watch Nitro from that era sometime from time to time, and you know, uh, Bobby the Stain Heenan saying all of that stuff. You're just like, really? That's your insult? That's, you're in there with one of the best insult artists of all time with Bobby Heenan, and you go with Bobby the Stain. Oh, Mongo was awful. He, uh, if there was the opposite of the Hall of Fame, if they did a like Razzie Award style Hall of Shame every year, that that right there is where Mongo needs to go. Agreed. Wouldn't that be sad? Like that, I think that would just get depressing after a while. Um. Now let's move on to the depressing part of our countdown show, where we talk about the worst of the week. And uh, our number three worst moment of the week is um, Kane, John Cena, Zack Ryder, Eve, and horror movie logic. How bad was this? I mean, Kane is sneaking around the arena. He's kind of stalking Zack Ryder. And then suddenly out of nowhere, Zack Ryder ends up with a flat tire. I... You know, everyone's sitting there going, yeah, there's like eight cars around you, dude. Eve probably drove there. Or I know, a limo or a taxi is going to help out. Nope, he's going to stay and change the tire while a big red jumpsuit-wearing monster is after him. Yeah, that was uh, that was one of the corniest segments I think I've seen on, on Raw in quite some time. And, you know, I was, I was watching it with my, my wife who, just immediately said, oh, this is the worst horror movie crap I think I've seen on uh, WWE TV ever, because I, I can't remember the last time we had one of these uh, evil cane segments where, you know, your eyes just kind of roll at some of the ridiculous logic that they employ, but, you know, they had the the sink scene backstage with Kane appearing in the mirror, and, uh, you know, I, and then one tire is slashed, you know, if, if you're a horror movie villain, why not slash all four tires? Uh, yeah. I don't really get that. But uh, and then and then the the silly spot with the choke slam where it obviously looked like uh, like Ryder bounced off of about 140 mattresses or something they had piled up there, and then magically two minutes later he's laid out perfectly on a pallet that that looks like it you know broke his fall. So yeah, the whole segment was just really really silly, and the, the way that whole angle played out the whole night, you know, just reminded you of the worst B horror movies that you've ever seen. It was even worse than some of the cornball stuff they did in See No Evil, which appeared like they were trying to channel here. Yeah, I wonder if Kane used his uh, See No Evil hook to slash those tires. <laughs> I, I that would have been a fun thing, wouldn't it? It's just, they actually used that around hook a couple it. of times on, on WWE TV promoting the movie. So They also brought in a fake Kane to promote the movie. I like to forget about yeah. that. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, this was just really bad logic, and I, I think it uh, speaks to an overall problem that they have in WWE right now. John Cena is the top star in that company, undoubtedly. They're surrounding him. His best friend now is Zack Ryder, the guy who, you know, his little buddy in a way is Zack Ryder, who is an over-the-top, 
corny comedy cartoon character. He's, you know, uh, if you made an animated Zack Ryder show, it would look, it would be exactly like what Zack Ryder's act is like on WWE TV. You wouldn't have to exaggerate. It wouldn't have to, uh, you know, be more than that. It's just, hey, this is Zack Ryder. He's pretty silly. And that's an issue. And then you look at the other side, and Kane is this horror movie cartoony villain with cartoon flames drawn on his pants. And you just go, this is, this is an issue when you have John Cena, A, heading into one of the biggest matches of all time at WrestleMania. And um, B, you're just not, you're not endearing anyone to him because John Cena has this tendency sometimes to come off cartoony. And if you put him in a realistic situation, he can come off as a real dude, too. And I think right now they need him to be a little more realistic than cartoony, and putting him there with cartoons is not going to get that done. Yeah, and it was evident, uh, you know, during that show on Monday because he had that very serious opening segment with Kane where he was kind of the serious John Cena. And then, you know, we have all that drama backstage with Ryder throughout the show, you know, with him freaking out about getting, you know, run off the uh, uh, the show by Kane. And then, you know, when Cena comes out for his match with, uh, you know, with Ziggler at the end of the show, he's back to being the happy-go-lucky Cena. You know, he comes out, he he you know mocks uh, uh, Ziggler to the camera, and then you know, and then he's happy all the way throughout the match until the Titantron shows uh, Kane beating the crap out of Ryder. So yeah, I mean the whole thing was uh, especially silly, and and when Cena transitions constantly between being a serious guy to being kind of a goof, I don't think it does anything for him, and I think it really makes angles like this seem pretty stupid because. You know, there's certain moments where we're supposed to think John Cena has no cares in the world, and there's other moments where you're supposed to think that he's afraid for his life. So I don't think it works. And I think in wrestling, I mean, you need to have a balance there. Uh, He needs to care about his opponents and take them seriously. Yeah, he can have fun sometimes. But he shouldn't be afraid for his life. He should be gearing himself up for a match. I just, the, yeah, the two extremes that they're going to with this are just too extreme for me. And I think even when you get to younger viewers, I think they're a little too extreme for anyone from the age of eight up to really get into and enjoy. Yeah, it, it, it's a tough thing to, to really get into because, you know, there's only so so much you can do to suspend disbelief a lot of the time. And, you know, these segments... Uh, you know, really ruin the rest of the show as far as, you know, believability is concerned. You know, there's some moments where you really can get into a wrestling show and, and you're able to suspend disbelief. And, and other times when you have segments like this, it kind of puts the entire show on a light. Well, you know, this is just some kind of goofy B-movie that, that I'm watching. So, uh, you know, the, the the way the whole thing played out, I think it does a disservice to, to what they're trying to do with John Cena at WrestleMania, I mean, the, I see the point of trying to get Cena to, you know, question himself and embrace hate and whatnot. I mean, that, that's fine, but the the horror movie elements of it are definitely not helping that story along, and it kind of kind of muddies the whole thing and takes the focus off of, you know, Cena questioning himself, and it puts it right back on Kane, who, uh, you know, is acting like a maniac. So I don't know. It, it just didn't do anything for me. I completely agree. And uh, now let's move on to our number two worst moment of the week. And this one was pretty bad. Knockouts pool fight. It's uh, where Gail Kim tried to murder Tracy Brooks. Yeah. She really did. She tried to drown yeah. her in a pool. Like, you can't even make that up. Like, <laughs> like that happens in <laughs> a wrestling show. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah there's, uh, it's another one of those moments where it's just like, uh... Okay, like when did this, when did wrestling become this murderous escapade that we're on all of a sudden? I, I don't know. It, it's just one of those moments that sucks you out of the show because it's like, okay, you know, I, I'm willing to to understand, you know, women wrestlers being catty towards each other and, and having little feuds about who's prettier and whatnot like they tend to do in TNA, these ridiculous female storylines. But, uh, you know, when, when you got somebody backstage literally trying to drown someone in a pool, I mean, it, it completely ruins any momentum uh, that, that any of these females had because it's, you know, it's just one of those moments like this is too ridiculous. Like, you know, this isn't a TV drama. This isn't a murder mystery. This is a wrestling show. And we don't need people drowning each other in pools. 
to get over an angle. So uh, I don't know. This is another one of those moments where the match they had afterward really wasn't bad, but it was cast in such a bad light by this pool fight segment. Not only was it sleazy to begin with because they were all in swimsuits, but then you had the drowning. So, yeah, it was, it was just really bad. And let's take it back before the attempted murder. What was the segment? I mean, Madison, I, from what I gleaned from it, Gail Kim was holding the camera. Madison Rain was showing off her bikini to Gail Kim on camera, and then they noticed Tracy Brooks and decided they were going to try to kill her. That's, that, that, that's, that's what basically I, all why, there was. Why yeah. were they showing off their bikinis on camera? What, what, what was the use of that? Why did they have a camera with them? And if that was, like, Gail Kim's phone, let's say she's rocking, you know, the iPhone 4S, 1080p HD video, sweet, nice work, Gail Kim, way to pick an awesome phone. However, how did the Impact Wrestling officials get a hold of this? I can only assume that Dixie Carter has, like, the passwords of everyone backstage's phone and that she is actually taking people's phone to get footage for Impact. And if that's the case, they need to relook at their talent contracts because that, that's an invasion of privacy right there. Yeah, the, I mean, obviously that's never explained. And, you know, it's the same thing with that <laughs> silly elevator segment on, uh, you know, on SmackDown a few weeks ago. I mean, it's just you're never going to get an, an accurate explanation, and I guess we shouldn't expect them. But, uh, you know, the... I don't know why they were filming each other uh, in their bikinis. Obviously, you know, TNA wants us to think that's just what attractive women do uh, in their spare time. But, you know... It isn't? I, I guess not. I, I mean, I, I don't know too many women who just get together and film each other in bikinis, but uh, to each their own. But it really didn't transition into the, uh, you know, there was really no motivation. I mean, all of a sudden, oh, there's Tracy in the pool. I, I think we're just going to go try to drown her now. I mean, there, there wasn't any... Did, did they have an ongoing feud with Brooks? I mean, I don't even recall anything... Yeah, I mean, they have. Kind of. I mean, it wasn't like... You know, it's not like wrestling feuds elevate to murder all that often, so it's not It's not like there's really a whole lot to go on. It's like, oh, yeah, last week we had a bit of a match. I think this week I'm just going to start dunking you underneath this water. I, there wasn't a, any explanation about it whatsoever. And the transition from bikini modeling to murder was just not good enough to warrant this being even on television. And, the, you know, the, the phone, uh, how they got access to the phone is really the least of the problems with that no, it, overall. And it was a startlingly quick transition to murder. It wasn't like they slowly thought about it and words were, and words were exchanged. It was, hey, let's go kill that chick. Like, from modeling to murder, it was ridiculous. Plus, um, uh, another issue with this that I wanted to bring up real quick, if I can remember it. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, it's not coming to me. I had it. It was funny, too, people. Just uh, <laughs> insert some laughs here where I would normally be cracking you up with uh, well, my... The, the thing that really caught me off guard is, I mean, if you're, if, you're, you know, if you're backstage by the pool filming each other in bikinis, why would you then think, oh, this would make a great snuff film? Like, why would you continue <laughs> recording it if you planned on murdering someone? I just didn't Why is there that. a pool at the impact zone? I, who knows? Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Do the fans, like, can I pay an extra 50 bucks and swim with the knockouts or something? It, you know, that, that, would not that might actually be on TNA half shows. Yeah. That's true. I mean, they but, might not have the same, I don't know, 140 people they normally pack into the impact zone every week. Or, well, once a month. <laughs> yeah. Nope, I thought of what I was going to say. Um, there's a reason that attractive women don't take pictures of themselves in bikinis up by you. Dude, you're from Minnesota. <laughs> yeah, I'm from true. Southern California. True. All we yeah. do is wear bikinis. Men, women, children, puppies, bikinis, dude. All these. All these experiences I'm missing out on by being from this tundra, this horrid tundra of a place. Yeah, I'm recording outside right now. It's a cool, like, 68 degrees, and this is winter. Yeah. It's nuts. It's 12 so, here uh, today, so live it up. Oh, that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> now let's, uh, let's just keep talking about TNA. And uh, our number one worst moment of the week, and normally we try to pare things down to, to real moments. I... You know, on the all-access side, we recently did our best of the year, and you heard most of what we did was moments from the show, moments from a match, just seconds. It, you know, those moments 
especially for the best that you can grab onto and they're a little bit intangible, but they are, there's something about them that excites you as a fan. This moment was three hours long and it felt like 10 and it was the TNA Genesis pay-per-view on Sunday. Oh, it was terrible. Yeah, I'm trying to think uh, of the last time that I spent three hours of my life doing something that was that bad. Like, I mean, you know, it's been a long time since I've even been in college, and I don't even remember many three-hour lectures being that boring. But <laughs> that whole pay-per-view, I mean, if it, just when you thought it was going to get interesting, it was just like, oh, there's another screw job finish, or, oh, there's, uh, there's another ridiculous backstage segment that didn't make any sense. I mean, it was just... I don't know. The, the whole pay-per-view did not click with me, and I don't I don't blame the wrestlers for it at all because I think they put out some good efforts. I mean, there's a lot of people in TNA that I, I like a lot and uh, I think are very talented people, but, I mean, the bottom line is booking completely ruined that pay-per-view. And then, you know, tonight, uh, you know, we're recording this on Thursday. Tonight on Impact, it's basically uh, a show of Genesis rematches, and why would anybody pay to watch uh, a TNA pay-per-view if they all they have to do is tune in, uh, you know, to Impact the following week to not only get the results of the pay-per-view, but to see most of the matches again in probably similar amounts of time. You know, the the, paper, the matches on the Genesis pay-per-view were actually pretty short because there were so many of them. So, I don't know. The the whole pay-per-view didn't click for me. The screw job finishes are are becoming a real hallmark of TNA booking, and it's really ruining a lot of the momentum that a lot of these feuds have. Uh, you know, and, and the, the the one match that really stuck out to me as being really underwhelming was, uh, you know, Angle and Storm. I mean, I have so, I, maybe it's just because of my ridiculously high expectations, but I have so much uh, optimism about what James Storm can do as a babyface. And, you know, Kurt Angle has a long history of being one of the best workers in the sport, and their matches just don't seem to carry the kind of intensity that you would expect from people that were in the middle of a blood feud. I mean, it wasn't two weeks ago that Kurt Angle was filming vignettes to threatening to beat up everybody in Jane Storm's hometown. And then they get into a match on the pay-per-view, and it's, you know, it's, it's almost like uh, you know, they're, they're having an exhibition match at the Olympic trials or something. I don't know. It's, just, it's really weird uh, for, for a few you know, where guys are supposed to hate each other so much that they can't generate the kind of animosity in the ring that you would expect from them. So, I mean, the, the whole pay-per-view was, was bad, but, uh, you know, maybe it was that match not living up to expectations that really kind of soured me on it. I think so. I, I remember sitting down and watching the show and, you know, cooking dinner and sitting around on Twitter during the show and just, you're watching it and it was taking such a long time to get going and the exhibition match was all right and, and then it just got into this long stretch of, like, Pope and Devon and all of this crap. By the way, there, there were what, like, there was, what, one match? Two, or no, every match either had a disqualification or a, cheat, a cheating type of ending or some interference involved, except for the Monsters Ball match, which seemed built for a schmoz, if you will. Like, it seemed built for that kind of, environment, but no, no, not that one, but the rest of them, yeah, they're, they're all screw job finishes, but yeah, that angle and storm thing, I, I think it's a combination, we heard uh, when, you know, the debate a few months ago with Robert Root and James Storm coming out of the Bamford Glory series, and when we were all kind of saying, you know, which one would you go with, I think more people were saying at that point, Storm is a lot better on the mic and he has the charisma, but when you talk about in-ring ability, Root has the better total package on that, you know, all rights reserved to Lex Luger on that one. But Rude seemed more like the, you know, the guy, yeah, he can get it done all right on the mic, but he's really good in the ring. And I think we're seeing both a little bit of Storm's deficiencies and a little bit of Angle showing some age here, which is so different for Kurt Angle. And I have to say, if it's between Angle showing age or Angle going out and risking, literally risking his neck, I'd rather him show a little bit of age and calm down his style, but I think then you have to change the type of feuds you allow Kurt Angle to be involved in on your program and make them more about competition than about um, an actual blood feud. And that's just, you know, you need to take a little bit of the personalness out of it because, yeah, it was an underwhelming match, and I feel like my expectations for that match got higher and higher as the night went on, mostly because the rest of the show was so bad, and I just desperately, you know, you want to justify that uh, 
expensive pay-per-view purchase you made. Because, yeah, you know. it's, uh, you know, the, the Monsters Ball match, uh, it, it wasn't bad, and the opener wasn't mm-hmm. bad, but, uh, you know, I, there there just wasn't a whole lot to sink your teeth into on this show. I mean, uh, a lot of the major marquee matches kind of felt underwhelming, and, you know, the rest of the matches weren't worth paying $40 for. So, I don't know. It, the the way it shook out, it was just one of the one of the most underwhelming pay-per-views I've seen in a while. And I hope TNA gets it together because, you know, we say this every time we talk about TNA. They have all kinds of talent, but they just don't have the, you know, the, the, the smarts on, on their booking committee to, to deliver something satisfying for the fans. And I'm not sure if they just don't realize that they're disappointing people with all these screw job finishes and, and uh, you know, strangely booked segments backstage, but it really sours people on the talent that they have on their roster. And it's, it's too bad because a lot of them, you know, could be drawing money for, for WWE in a lot of cases. And what are you saying to the 8,000 people that order your pay-per-views? I'm, it's not a big number, no. But it's the, pretty much the only people that are willing to actually pay for that product. 8,000 people out of the 2 million that watch them on a weekly basis. What are you saying to those 8,000 people? You're, you're saying, hey, guys, w- thanks for paying, but uh, we'll see you Thursday on the free show that everyone gets. I mean, there's nothing. It's, it'd be different if it were like, okay, maybe some of the matches don't end conclusively and they save the big stories for TV, but you know what? They deliver some damn good matches. You know, they're, they're giving us some match-of-the-year contenders every pay-per-view just to, just, just to help us justify that purchase. That'd be fine. Is it ideal? No, but the way their business works is so TV-oriented. It's different than the way we've all been kind of brought up in wrestling and shown the way that wrestling companies should and do promote. But they don't give you match of the year contenders. They give you bad matches with bad finishes, and then they tell you, oh, hey, you want the conclusion? We'll see you Thursday. And they give away rematches for those shows on TV. What's the point? Why, if I... Let's say I'm on a TNA pay-per-view ordering streak, and I've ordered, you know, I got excited about Bound for Glory, and Bobby Roode and James Storm hooked me in, and I'm still hooked in right now. Watching Impact on Thursday night, why in the world would I keep watching? Why, why would I keep ordering their pay-per-views and spending, you know, now $120, no, $160 if I've ordered all four shows for what? What did I get? I got conclusions on Impact that I didn't have to pay a thing for. Yeah, that's really been the dis- you know the disappointing part of the way TNA books their promotion. It's just you know so much of it is geared around impact that the pay-per-views almost feel you know like afterthoughts. Like, well, we got to build the major moments on TV because that's how we're going to attract you know a, a, a larger audience. So you know our paying customers on pay-per-view are just going to have to suffer through a lot of inconclusive stuff, and, and that's too bad. And, and I know. You know, TNA isn't terribly happy with the way their pay-per-view schedule is structured, and once their current contract is up, they're going to drastically reduce the amount of pay-per-views they have. And, and that's probably, you know, a, a much better plan for their business model because pay-per-views really should be, you know, the blow-off to, to, a, to a major feud that's taken a long time to build. And, and that's, uh, I think, one of the primary criticisms of the way, you know, WWE does things now is that pay-per-views often feel like just extensions of their television broadcasts. So, uh, you know, that's uh, it's a fair criticism, and I think, you know, TNA at least has acknowledged that, you know, maybe not publicly, but privately, that, you know, the way that, the way their model is, is set up, uh, you know, isn't helping them. So I hope they do uh, they do go down to four, you know, some, something like that, pay-per-views a year, because they, they definitely spend the bulk of their time, you know, planning and, and booking impact, and the, and the pay-per-views have suffered greatly as a result. And they're not making a whole lot of money off of them anyway, so... Uh, you know, this show is just another example of, you know, a lack of booking focus and how, you know, TV takes priority and the pay-per-views end up looking like Genesis, and that's just too bad. Do you think this was all to build for the sequel pay-per-view and the uh, Phil Collins duo with Against All Odds? <laughs> well, that's a that's a good, as good a theory as I could have come up with, but, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it's hard to say what the next pay-per-view is going to look like in TNA just because things change so quickly. But, uh, you know, it does, doesn't seem like we got any conclusions to any feuds on, at Genesis. So I would assume we're going to see, uh, you know, some gimmick matches at Against All Odds to, to finish some of these up. I would guess the same thing. And uh, 
on that note, we're going to wrap things up today for the .NET Countdown. Again, if you uh, enjoyed the countdown and want to hear it on a weekly basis, it's all available for the .NET members along with audio on TNA Impact, WWE Raw, WWE SmackDown, every pay-per-view, even the bad ones, and uh, along with the .NET Weekly Audio Show. I'm Chris Shore doing a new uh, audio show called The Audio Slant where he tackles some of the um, news of the week and uh, also does a little bit of history, a DVD review segment. It's kind of a grab bag of features based on the week, and that also includes the Q&A. And, of course, Jason Powell's Q&A where you can ask him questions or even at times enter in some questions that uh, you'd like him to uh, find out from the sources within the industry, and he will um, go to bat and try and find those out for the members. It's, uh, I think, one of the uh, coolest features. It's not talked about much on the .NET member side, but, you, you know, it, it's always fun to shoot Jason an email or write in his forum, hey, have you heard about this if you're curious? And, you know, chances are he can figure it out for you. So anything you want to add um, either about the countdown or the .NET membership side, Jake? Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the member site's just a great value. And I was a member a long time before I was, uh, you know, brought on on staff. So, uh, you know, I, I appreciate a lot of what Jason does because he did some of it for me. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's a great yeah. value, and I think people should definitely look at it. And another apology to uh, to Barry Windham. I, I did some Googling while we were talking here, and I don't know where I got the silly idea that he uh, had passed away. So uh, I'm an asshole, and uh, another apology to, to Barry Windham on that one. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, I, I don't think he'll be too offended. It's, we got it corrected. So uh, yeah. thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for listening to the uh, .NET countdown. And uh, check out that .NET member side, ProWrestling.net, membership link on the right side of the page for uh, Jake Varnett. This is Will Proof signing out.